Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Now, Pastor Mark Driscoll wrote a fantastic book called Win Your War, and it's about spiritual warfare. And in the book, he tells the story of Martin Luther, who spent a lot of time at Wartburg Castle. One night when Martin Luther was in his room, he had a vision where he saw the devil at the foot of his bed. And so he reached over to the desk and grabbed an inkwell and threw it at the devil and an ink splotch appeared on the wall. That ink splotch was there for years and years and years. And they used to take people on tours of Martin Luther's room and show people the ink splot and tell them about the story of him having a vision of the devil. However, As the years went on in the 20th century, they painted over the ink splotch. And today they don't even refer to it when you go on a tour of Wartburg Castle. And in his book, Mark Driscoll says this. He says the church in the 21st century has done exactly the same. It has painted over the demonic and doesn't even refer to it anymore. I don't know if you realize it, church, but we're in a spiritual war. And we need to understand spiritual warfare and be equipped to deal with spiritual warfare. C.S. Lewis kind of explained where we're at in terms of spiritual warfare. He said there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. I've noticed that. Some people don't believe in demons and in the devil at all, while others spend a time preoccupied with the devil, even speaking to him in all their church services. We've got to find the balance in dealing with spiritual warfare. Ronald Knox was a priest and had a radio program and uh, passed away in 1947. He said, it is so stupid of modern civilization to have given up believing in the devil when he is the only explanation of it. Modern civilization reflects that there is a devil And so he says, we can't ignore that. It's interesting in America, they did a poll and 25% of people who were asked about the devil said the devil to them is man's inhumanity to man. They saw it as a concept rather than as a real figure as portrayed in the Bible. And again, Mark Driscoll in speaking at a conference we attended some time back, he spoke about the necessity of acknowledging the presence of the supernatural in our world. He says, if you talk to most middle-class people, they view it as a superstition. There's no demonic activity in the middle-class world. Go to the lower classes and suddenly they're very aware of demonic activity. And he says this, he said, Osama bin Laden, when he was captured, he was living around the corner from a US military base. And he said, that's exactly how Satan works. He hides in plain sight and yet we overlook him because of our kind of view of evil and of the devil. And he said this, he said, sometimes we look at murders and crimes, but we forget the most dangerous place for a child today is in the womb of its own mother. And he talked about how we don't understand the demonic and we really need to. So I wanna speak today on spiritual warfare, the important spiritual warfare, and I wanna speak on how Satan works 
how Satan works, because when you know the strategy, when you know how the devil works, then you can stand against him, you can resist him, and you can understand what you're dealing with. And a lot of people have got wrong understandings about life, about the tragedies and circumstances we face, as well as the devil. And so I want to deal with that today. Now, D.L. Moody said this. He said, I believe Satan to exist for two reasons. First, the Bible says so, and second, I've done business with him. Some of you at home would say, yes, I've done business with the devil. But needless to say, we need to have a sound theology. And there's a professor from Holland by the name of Professor Burkhauer, and uh, he's at the University of Amsterdam in their theology division. And he made this profound statement. He said, there can be no sound theology without a sound demonology. So we must understand these things without becoming preoccupied or weird about them. You know, you've seen people crawling on their knees, barking and calling it spiritual warfare. We need to have a sound theology, but we can't have that without a sound demonology. So how does Satan work? There's an amazing passage as we kick off today in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7, and it talks about how the Antichrist is going to come into the world, and the readers would have understood what Paul was writing. So let's pick it up in verse 7. He says, for the mystery of lawlessness doth already work, only there is one that restraineth now. Talking about the Holy Spirit is keeping back evil. He says, until he be taken out of the way, then he shall be revealed, the lawless one whom the Lord Jesus shall slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to naught by the manifestation of his coming, even he whose coming is according to the working of Satan. Notice that phrase, with all power and signs and lying wonders, that's how Satan works, and with all deceit of unrighteousness, for them that are perishing, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now that's quite a mouthful. We've used a slightly older translation. But what Paul's saying is the Antichrist is gonna come and there's a mysterious thing that works in the world. When the Holy Spirit's removed, he will manifest and it will come with how Satan works. And then he talks about deception, lying wonders, and he talks about how it's easier when people don't receive the truth. And the readers would have understood exactly what he was talking about. And today, you know, we're so far removed from the working of Satan. Science has relegated Satan to like a figurehead, to like a, like Father Christmas. You know, it's just, oh, it's just a story you get told when you're young that kind of describes evil. But we re need to realize the Bible talks about a real person or figure called Satan or the devil or Lucifer. And I'll explain that as we go along. And we need to know how he works. Now to just quickly, before we get into the full meat of the message, we need to know who Satan is. Satan was an angel created by God who was in God's presence and he was an anointed cherub who led worship. And he was in such an exalted position that it went to his head, pride filled his heart. He rebelled against God, took the angels, some of the angels of heaven with him and then was cast down by God and sent to the earth. Now, Donald Gray Barnhouse in his book, The Invisible War, suggests that what Satan actually had was a priestly function. He was before the very throne of God in the presence of God, and it went to his head and he thought he could be like God. Now, Ezekiel chapter 28 describes the devil. We don't have time to read that passage. Study it in your own time. But uh, Isaiah 14 is the key one where we read about Satan, and I do want to read this, seeing we're unpacking this subject today. Isaiah 14 and verse 12 talks about Satan. And it says, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. The word Lucifer means light bearer. 
son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, mighty though you were against the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I want you to notice the amount of I wills here, because that's always how we follow Satan. I will, not God will, I will. And Satan said, I will ascend to heaven and rule the angels. I will take the highest throne. I will preside on the mount of the assembly far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. But instead, it says, but instead, you will be brought down to the pit of hell, down to its lowest depths. Everyone there will stare at you and ask, can this be the one who shook the earth and the kingdoms of the world? Can this be the one who destroyed the world and made it into a shambles, who demolished its great cities and had no mercy on his prisoners? In other words, the devil seems so powerful now, but God's dealing with him and he's gonna be rendered ineffective and at the close of the age, you'll be removed completely. And Satan was this, in this glorious position of privilege, but it went to his head. And now he's trying to get worship for himself by deceiving us into following him and believing his lies. John Milton, who wrote Paradise Lost, that famous poet, said Satan rebelled because he would rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. So, what are we dealing with here? We're dealing with a limited being, a created being. Satan and God are not equal opposites. Satan is just an angel, a fallen angel, and God is God. God is the all supreme, the everlasting, the eternal one, the omniscient, the omnipresent, the only one whose duty worshiped, the great I am. And Satan is just a fallen angel. There is no comparison. And when we get perspective on what we're dealing with, we'll understand the power that we have through Christ. So let me give you five things here about the devil, and then we'll talk about how he works in our lives. Firstly, number one, Satan's power is always subject to God's will and decree. Satan can't just do what he likes, whenever he likes, with whoever he likes. It's subject to God's will and decree. And because we know him as the God of this world, we think he can just go around doing what he likes. No, he always needs permission from God before he does anything. Martin Luther described it like this. He said, even the devil is God's devil. So Satan doesn't, hasn't rebelled and now he's running loose and God's going, oh, I've got to get hold of him and deal with him. He's God's devil and he's subject to God's will and decree. You study the first two chapters of the book of Job, Satan comes before the Lord and has to get permission before he can test righteous Job. In Job chapter one and verse 12, it says the Lord said to Satan, very well then, Everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And so there was permission given and then permission given to touch his body. Satan can't do anything to you without God's permission because it's in God's will and God's decree. He is an instrument of God even though he is in rebellion. That's how sovereign and almighty God is. You'll remember when the apostle Peter was uh, coming to the place where he would deny Jesus. Jesus speaks to him in Luke chapter 22 and he says something very interesting. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to have you, to sift you like wheat. He asked permission. He couldn't just have Peter. And then he says, but I have pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not completely fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen and build up the faith. Of your brothers. So Satan can't just do anything he likes to God's leaders, to God's people. He has to get permission and he's under God's will and God's decree. The second thing about the devil is God uses our conflict with Satan to develop our character. 
He's an instrument of God in developing our character. If there was no negatives, there would be no muscle building, but God uses him in order to bring something about in the life of a Christian. An Air Force pilot put it like this once. He said, if, if, if you're not getting any flak, that's those, those black explosions next to your wings, if you're not getting any flak, you're not over the target area. And so when you're having challenges in your life, you don't say, well, what's happening? Why am I being attacked? How could God let this happen? God's using it to teach you avoidance, to teach you how to fly higher, to teach you how to get through troubles. And God uses Satan to develop our character. Notice in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, Jesus speaking to the church tells them that Satan is going to test them. And he says here in Revelation 2 verse 10, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Gosh, wouldn't it be good if he said, and, I've, and, I'm, and I'm there and I'm going to stop him? No, he says, he's going to do this. You need to stand firm and you're going to grow in character. You're going to grow in strength because he's an instrument of God to develop you. Number three, the third thing we need to know about the devil today is at the cross, Satan was defeated spiritually, but when he's thrown in the lake of fire, he will be defeated eternally. So why is the devil still around? Well, he was defeated spiritually at the cross, but he will be defeated eternally when he's finally thrown in hell. Because currently, while he's defeated spiritually, God still uses him to fulfill his purpose. You see, Jesus defeated Satan at the cross. He said, well, how did he do that and how come he still tempts me? Well, what Satan uses is guilt and accusation. He says, you have sinned, and he goes to God and says, they have sinned, and so you're a righteous and holy God. You can't let them off, and then God has to judge us because he's a righteous and holy God, and he has to be true to his law. But at the cross, Jesus stood in our place. So when Satan accuses us to God, God says, sorry, my son paid the penalty. And so Satan has no accusation. He has literally, like the snake, no leg to stand on, and we need to know that. In fact, every time we think about Satan or focus on Satan, we mustn't do it independently of God, because in the picture is God, the sovereign, the Lord of all, the eternal one, the great I am, standing there, who has sent his son on our behalf. Number four, the fourth thing is Satan is limited by God. Quickly, five verses here. Jude verse six, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So God has already limited demonic activity with the angels that rebelled and went with Satan. Don't feel that your life is overwhelmed by demonic powers. No, God is still on the throne and he's already limited Satan. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. See, he says, this is what God did. In other words, they have been limited by God. Demons don't have unlimited power and they're not demons everywhere we go. They are fallen angels and they're not as many as you think. God is much superior to them. Again, John chapter 12, Jesus speaking, the time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Jesus, you're speaking about the cross where he would deal with sin 
and Satan wouldn't have a leg to stand on because he would have no ability to accuse us because we'd be forgiven. John chapter 14, Jesus speaking again. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me. In other words, Satan had no power over Jesus when he was going to the cross because Jesus had never sinned, so nothing could be held against him. God could not accuse him. And Satan's power rests with accusation, as we'll look at in a few moments. And John chapter 16 and verse 11, judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. So Satan is limited. He's not gone, but he's severely limited. Don't make him bigger in your mind than he actually is. And number five, Satan is used by God. Satan can travel and move around and can even enter heaven's presence because he's still used by God. And I want to take you to a passage so you understand the limits of this creature and you don't make him bigger, but you understand how he works. 1 Kings chapter 22, and it speaks of Micaiah, the prophet. And it says, then Micaiah said, listen to this further word from the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and the armies of heaven stood around him. This is a picture of the heavenly council. Then the Lord said, who will entice Ahab? to go and die at Ramoth Gilead. Various suggestions were made until one angel approached the Lord and said, I'll do it. How the Lord asked. And he replied, I will go as a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, that'll do it. You will succeed. Go ahead. So God uses that which is negative to serve his purpose, to grow us, to test us. And Satan does not have free reign. It's all under the will and decree of God. So how does Satan work? We need to look at this quickly today. Six ways Satan works. Number one, and I've listed these three together under this point, by intention, accusation, and condemnation. So Satan's very intentional. He accuses, and then when we sin, we feel condemnation. And that he brings emotional despair into people's Lives. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us to put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. So Satan's very intentional. He's, he's strategic. And sometimes because you think he's evil, you can think he's stupid. Sam Storms, the author and theologian and pastor, said this. He said, it strikes some as odd to say that Satan has a strategy. They mistakenly conclude that because our enemy is atrociously sinful, he must be equally stupid. Such reasoning has been the downfall of many in the body of Christ. So he's very intentional and strategic. Then he's an accuser. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 calls him the accuser of the brethren. He comes to make us feel guilty. If you're a Christian, Satan will constantly accuse you of sin and make you feel not good enough. Here's the strange thing. If you're not a Christian, he will constantly tell you you're good enough so that you don't need God. But he's the accuser of the brethren. He is strategic and intentional. He's the accuser. Then he brings condemnation. He lures us into sin. Then when we sin, we feel condemned. And when we feel condemned, we withdraw from God. But Romans 8 tells us there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who receive the blood sacrifice, who walk with him as Lord, there's no condemnation. And so Satan works intentionally. He's like a, a fisherman who puts a lure on, on, on the hook and makes it look like food and then gets us into condemnation and despair. And we need to understand the working of Satan if we're going to resist it. Number two, Satan works through division. 
He divides people. He brings animosity. And that's why the entire world is at loggerheads with each other. Political parties, individuals, races, genders. Why? Satan tries to divide. He even tries to divide the church. In 1 John 3 and verse 10, John says this. It's quite profound. He says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. You say, I know who the children of the devil are. Serial killers, rock bands, people who go and worship Satan. No, no, no. He now tells us who the children of the devil actually are. He says, anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. You see, our concept of who children of the devil are is always weird, and we don't know anyone like that. We've never met a devil worshiper generally. We, we don't have associations with evil rock bands, so, so they're the ones who are demonic. No, actually, Satan uses attitudes to divide, and so when you don't love the church and you speak against the church and you, and you discourage people from going to church and, and not honoring God, uh, this Christian thing, this religious thing, you're an instrument of the devil because Satan works through division. Corrie ten Boom, the wonderful Dutch lady who hid Jews during the Second World War, said this. She said, when a Christian shuns fellowship with other Christians, the devil smiles. When he stops studying the Bible, the devil laughs. And when he stops praying, the devil shouts for joy. See, it starts with when you separate and they, he brings division. There's a famous author called Francis Frangipani and he said this. He said, more churches have been destroyed by the accuser of the brethren and its fault finding than by either immorality or misuse of church funds. So prevalent is this influence in our society that among many, fault finding has been elevated to the status of a ministry. People think it's their ministry to find faults. I've got discernment. I know that person. And we bring division. And actually, that's how Satan works. He works through people to bring division. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, warns us in 2 Corinthians of the way Satan can work through these attitudes. And he says, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there's anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. And then he makes a profound statement. He says, in order that, in other words, I've forgiven because in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Don't be critical. Don't let division creep in. Don't just speak from your mouth the faults of other people. We're all living under grace. Satan can use you to bring division. Number three, Satan works through deception. That is his primary way. And there are a couple of aspects I just want to highlight to make it a bit more clear. Satan works by deception. Number one, he pretends to be good. He comes as an angel of light. And he did that in the Garden of Eden. He came to Eve almost like, hey, I've got your good in mind. Listen to me. If you listen to me, man, life will be better for you. You'll have more pleasure. You'll have more fun. You know, God is a, a fun spoiler. And so he presents himself as the bearer of good for our good, but actually he is not doing us good. In, in 2 Corinthians here, Paul talks about this. He says, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Is it not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants 
of righteousness. So Satan himself pretends to be good, but then he has people in the earth who pretend to be good. And uh, today, if you look at the media, they pretend to be on your side. They pretend to be good. They pretend to espouse values that are good. A lot of politicians have got ideologies that they say, this is, this is going to be the best. Meanwhile, it brings people into slavery because it's not God's will. It's an alternative to God. And so Satan pretends to be good and pretends to promote our good. Today, abortion is being promoted as good. It's a woman's right, you know, and it gives her freedom from the unnecessary burden of a child so she can pursue her career and become all she's meant to be. That's what Satan does. He, he pretends that it's for your good, but actually it's downright murder. And no longer do we have to have people being killed during a war like the Second World War where people were put in concentration. Now you kill them in the womb before they even have a chance and you say it's good. That's how Satan works. He calls that which is evil good and he leads us into sin. Number two, he pretends to be harmless. So through deception, he pretends to be harmless. And uh, we've got to be careful that we don't underestimate Satan because he pretends he's harmless, but actually he's deadly. It's like that bait on a hook. When the fish bites into it, it looks like food, but actually it ends up trapped. The third thing is he's a liar. And the Bible describes Satan, uh, the devil, as the father of lies in John chapter 8. We don't have time to read these verses. Make sure you do a study. He lied to Eve. And he pretended to Eve that, that uh, if she ate of that fruit, that life would be much better. And Satan is the father of lies. And uh, he basically tells us not to listen to God, but to listen to him. And, uh, and Satan's main weapon is talk. That's why media, television, newspapers, social media, words are Satan's instrument to present lies as truth and to deceive us into evil. Number four, the fourth thing and the fourth way, that key way that Satan works today is through temptation by suggestion. Satan tempts us by suggesting. And that's the way he started with Eve in the garden. He tempted her by making a, suggest a suggestion. And uh, Thomas Watson, the UK Puritan, you know, the Puritans were people around the 1500s who were very committed to God. They didn't even want Christmas to be celebrated. They were, they were strict and really God-honoring people. And uh, Thomas Watson was one of them. And he said, Satan tempts to sin gradually. As the husbandman digs about the root of a tree and by degrees loosens it, and at last it falls, Satan steals by degrees into the heart. He is at first more modest. So you never know in the beginning, oh, this is the devil. I know what you're up to. It happens slowly and it loosens your foundation. It digs at your roots. It attacks the foundation of your beliefs until eventually you topple over in unbelief. That's what he did to Eve. He tempted by suggestion. Did God really say, he says, in Genesis chapter three and verse one. In other words, God didn't really say that it's only one man and one woman in marriage. God didn't really say that you, you, know, you mustn't eat of that tree. Is that what he really meant? And so today, suggestion Tempting us to alternative beliefs has become a way of life in our world. Everything Christian is being challenged because Satan is at work, as we read in 2 Thessalonians. There's the working of Satan that's going on right now in the world, and he suggests to us alternatives. And Satan will always suggest to you, 
take, sniff that cocaine. It'll help you through this difficult time. It'll give you a high. You, you, you'll be able to work. You'll be sharper. Uh, you know, take that woman at work, you know, that person next door, the neighbor, that in your friendship, and go with her. She's the real one that you should have married. Now, if you marry him, then, you know, you'll be able to really make a life. And he lies and suggests and tempts us. And in the end, there is destruction. You know, everything that's forbidden is always forbidden for our good. When you drive onto a highway, if you go onto the highway a wrong way, you'll see no entry signs. They are not there just to be nasty. They are there to forbid us from doing something that will ultimately lead to our destruction. And it's very important for us to understand how Satan tempts. He just makes a suggestion to weaken our foundations. And he wants us to go with that which is forbidden. You know, the famous author Mark Twain said this. He said, there's a certain charm about the forbidden that makes it unspeakably desirable. And so the devil is making war on our souls and the goal is so that he receives worship. And we've got to be careful that we don't listen to his suggestions, that we're well grounded on the word. And his greatest strategy is to suggest that God is wrong. Did God really say? And um, when we listen to that, our minds become blinded. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. He says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. How? He tells us, you're good enough. And God didn't really say you shouldn't do that. And so our minds become clouded through suggestion, and eventually we are tempted not to follow God and our hearts are darkened. Number five, two more here quickly. The fifth way is Satan tempts and works through distraction. Through distraction. As soon as you make a fresh commitment to serve God, you decide you're gonna make a recommitment as a Christian or you give your life to Jesus, something will come to distract you. And Paul writing to the church warned the Christians that this is how Satan would work. He would distract you with good things. He'll distract you with alternatives and he will lead you astray. We read that phrase often, astray in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse three, Paul says, but I'm afraid. That just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He comes to distract us and to lead us astray. Paul writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, he says, For some have already strayed after Satan. In another translation, the New Living Translation, he says, Some of them have already gone astray and now follow Satan. You see, it's very easy to get distracted and not to recognize that it's actually the demonic at work. That's why we have to be very well grounded on the word. There's a theologian in Germany called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he said that Satan works in this way to kind of, this is one of the key ways Satan works. And that's how he gets us distracted. He said the deceit, the lie of the devil consists of this, that he wishes to make man believe that he can live without God's word. You see, suggestion, distraction, did God really say? And before you know it, you think it's just your own decision, but he's kept you from serving Jesus. And then the last way Satan works, through obstruction. The Bible says that he blocks our way 
or he stands in our path. And the Hebrew word for Satan is actually obstructor or the word adversary, someone who stops you getting to where you need to go with God. And he often blocks our way. Paul described this when he was busy in his ministry trying to get to different churches. He says to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So it's very important for us to understand that Satan deceives, he suggests, he, he, he blocks our way, he distracts us, and we need to know the working of Satan in our lives so that we can resist him and he will flee from us. Peter tells us that the way to deal with Satan is to resist him. In other words, to stand up to his suggestions, his deceptions, his distractions, and his lies, and to be unmoved from what God says about us in Christ. You and I are involved in a spiritual war, and it's crucial that we understand it and that we win it, because what's happening in the earth is not just natural, it is supernatural. Now, our time has come to an end, and I'm going to pick up again when I speak about this. Next time, we're going to look at how we can wage war and understanding spiritual warfare correctly and look at some of the things that, you know, Satan's already a defeated foe and understand that a bit better. But today, what I want you to do is I want you to make a fresh commitment because what Satan does to the Christian all the time is to tell us you're not good enough. He'll highlight your faults, your weaknesses, your bad habits, your sins, your, your thoughts. How could you think that? You're not a proper Christian. How dare you? Uh, you had lustful thoughts, evil thoughts. You, you were tempted to steal. You, 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 there's, there's all sorts of things, bad attitudes. We, 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 be, we become superior. We feel we're superior to us. We're critical. Then we realize. Uh, and, and so he builds condemnation in your life. He comes and says, you know what? You're not really saved. You're not good enough. But then you know what he does if today you're watching and you're not a Christian. He tells you, hey, you're good enough. There's many people worse than you. There's serial killers, there's liars, there's rapists, there are people who've stolen from our government. You, no, you, you're very average. You know, if you get to heaven, God will welcome you because he'll see you. You're one of the good people. And so he tells those who don't know Jesus and haven't invited Jesus into their lives that they're good enough, tells the Christian, you're not good enough. And that's how Satan works on two opposing poles. But as believers, we need to know who we have through the Lord Jesus Christ, the savior of our sins, the one who's forgiven us all our sins. And then as unsaved or unchurched people who don't know him, we need to know that we're outside of God and nothing we can do is good enough because there's none good, the Bible says, only God. And so if you don't know Jesus today, nothing you do that's good will get you into heaven. Satan will tell you, oh, you'll be fine. You need to have Jesus as your savior because the Bible says he that has the son has life. He that has not the son has not life. And that sounds so absolute, but that's the truth. So if today you'd like to just revive your faith and say, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Just pray with me right now and just take this moment as we pray. But if you don't know Christ, it's time to say this prayer with me today and to receive Jesus as your Lord and savior and to push away Satan out of your life. Come, let's pray. Pray this with me. Lord, I come to you today because I'm not good enough. No good deed I do can get me into heaven. No amount of good deeds I do can outweigh my sins. But I receive your son today, Jesus, the savior who paid for all my sins. I receive him into my life for the forgiveness of my sins and I receive the gift of eternal life. And I thank you for 
that gift today, which I can't earn and don't deserve, and I make it my own. Give me salvation today, Lord. I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 